Yo, what's going on, guys? We have an emergency podcast, as you guys could probably expect. Donovan Mitchell has been traded not to the New York Knicks. He is going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I am Michael Barner, back for my first time in two episodes. I am welcomed by Ethan and Ben. Boys, how are we feeling? Feeling good. Emergency pod had to drop everything on my uh, schedule tonight. Had big plans. I, I said, nope. Got to uh, sit down with my boys, talk some uh, Donovan Mitchell going to the Cavs. Couldn't have said it better, Ethan. All right, so and, and initial reactions, what are we thinking? Um, first off, for me, I love it for the Cavs. I think that if you say you don't like it for the Cavs, then you're just trying to be different, I think. Maybe one of you guys have that opinion, so sorry in advance if I'm a ricocheting shot. Mike, I knew you'd probably be one of the ones to have that opinion. If you do, we'll see. I've, I've, I've kind of switched. I don't think it's like a so slam I, I, dunk home run, but yeah. it's definitely good. Because I look at it as <laughs> – I look at it as they, they just secured five-plus years of Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Donovan Mitchell. That's got to mean something. If that's not a slam dunk, I don't know what is. Yeah, right. I mean the thing. Right. It, it, it's for for me. For me, it's just gonna come down to Evan Mobley, who I'm really high on. Yeah. But like, he needs to be. He needs in order for them to actually like win a championship. He needs to surpass Donovan Mitchell. Well, the, that's the, what I think. I think Garland's gonna pass Mitchell. Is that a crazy statement? Uh, I don't know about that. Three years in, I mean, he definitely took a massive step this year, but. To surpass Mitchell, he needs to become a top five point guard, and we've done top five point guards. That's a, that's an elite, elite class. Yeah. The the one thing I want to get your guys' opinions on is we all know Donovan Mitchell is a very subpar defender. Um, we've alluded to it on this podcast, at least I have. For a guy that has the athleticism, the quickness, the range of motion that he has, he is a very subpar perimeter defender. And I saw a tweet like uh, – how is him on the Cavs going to be any different than him on, like, Utah? Because think about it. He had Gobert protecting the paint. He's going to have two guys now protecting the paint. Yeah, he does the difference. In Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. I do agree to the extent him and Garland is not a very good defensive backcourt, but their wings are very good defensively to where they can guard the other teams, you know, tier A guard and, and Okoro and Lavert, two guys that really get after it on the defensive end, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I bet Ben, you go first, Ben. You no, go first. honestly, just to counter your point, like, and I, I, my initial reaction overall is just everyone's coming here thinking that, all right, Donovan Mitchell immediately like the man on on the Cavs. Honestly, why I like this pairing so much is because I am extremely high on Darius Garland as a point guard, and I think that when Mitchell was just isolating in Utah. And that's how his offense was. And he's amazing. He puts up numbers. He performs in the playoffs. That's all good. And that's the truth. But Darius Garland as a playmaker, making things easier for Donovan Mitchell, I think is going to be an extremely dynamic backcourt. And then, as you said, with the defensive side of the ball, you know, yeah, they're not great. But when you have two all-defensive uh, level bigs, you know, sitting in the paint, I think this is a really, really good starting lineup here. Their, their starting lineup is – like legit. <laughs> yeah, as Kendrick Perkins tweeted today, that it's he said it's the best starting lineup in the NBA. I don't know about that, but it's like not a crazy take. The, yeah, fact, that, the fact that I don't think it's that crazy is saying something of what Kobe Altman has done in Cleveland because they were in the dumpster after LeBron left, and he's made them into an Eastern Conference contender. And like within four years, within four years of taking over, so mad respect to him, GM over there. 
Yeah, yeah. And as we said before, like a lot of these like mega deals, you think like they give up all these picks, but like assuming they have, it's not going to be a Nets like blow, like horrible trade. Like they're going to be a playoff team unless people leave for every single pick. Like who cares about those picks? They're all going to be in the 20s. So I love this for like in terms of like the picks. In terms of their window, not that convinced, but in terms of value, love it. It's crazy. Uh, we, I talk about futures so much on this channel. I don't know why I didn't take a stab at the Cavs 125 to one before this trade. They're 25 to one now. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's a crazy jump for them. But what do you guys think on the Utah front? I know Danny Ainge went in there and he's trying to just blow it absolutely up. Uh, mission succeeded. They still have some like NBA talent though, that they still, I feel need to get rid of or trade if they're fully going to embrace a tank. Cause they still got some guys on that roster, Sexton, Markinen. Uh, Bogdan, and he's he's in the later parts of his career, but some guys that still are going to be willing to go get after it. Some guys that'll probably look good in the purple and gold. All right. I fully expect it to be like an OKC, like rehabilitation. Like Sexton and marketing are definitely good pieces, but like they're not going to be a part of like the 10 year plan. They're already what, like 24 and 25. So it's going to be like, let them ball out next year, two years, and then probably flip them like OKC did with like Chris Paul and all that. So that, I, I like it. Yeah, and all, and also I agree with that, Mike, because they uh, Utah extended um, Colin Sexton for four yeah. years, seventy two immediately, which I'm happy for Colin Sexton because he got guaranteed money, thirty more million dollars than what Cleveland offered him like a month ago. So I'm happy that he secured the bag off of a major injury last season. But at the same time, on the Utah front, a couple of years down the line, they can flip him. And with the yeah. uh, with the salary cap uh, spiking in like three years, nothing, that's yeah, going to be nothing. nothing. So it, I think it's a great deal on both both sides. So what do you guys think is the cap ceiling now? Um, I, I was thinking earlier, I would say they're probably going to be like around that five to seven seed in the East. I still think, you know, Boston, Miami, Milwaukee, uh, Philly, Brooklyn, maybe Atlanta are still going to be better than them. I wouldn't say Atlanta just yet. I'm sorry if I forgot somebody. But I think that they have as promising of a core in the Eastern Conference. There's just so many good teams in that conference right now. Yeah, yeah. I think initially, like, why I didn't like it is because, like, next year, probably the year after, they're not winning a title. It's just the East is so loaded and, like, so many guys in their prime. But I think I think this is a move for year four, five, six, when all their guys are like 28, 29. But in the immediate future, definitely not in the plans. But, yeah, probably five or six. What do you guys think? They're going to be contending, which is good for Cleveland. Is it crazy for me to right now say that I think they're a better team than the Miami Heat if all things go correctly? I feel like I'm always so down they're a deeper team, but every year, and then the Heat just have like that winning culture, and Spo gets those guys ready, and then they end up with the best record in the East, and somehow make it to the semis or, or the conference finals. No, yeah, I I agree, but like on paper, I would say yes, they have a better roster right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sitting here and saying that this team is already no, no. seasoned and ready to like make no. make the a habitual Eastern Conference Finals run like the Heat. Yeah typically do like the Celtics typically typically do but if we're talking just scoring talent all throughout the starting lineup I mean the Heat were rotating Duncan Robinson Max Strews yeah. Dwayne Dedman come on now come on now. I think I think for next year honestly like the expectation like I think they'd be fine with five or six seed getting to game six or seven I don't think it's immediately like win around make a conference finals like 
again, this this is a long haul. So, what? That'll be year two. Yeah, yeah, year two got to win a series, but t- next year it's just securely make the playoffs, establish yourself as like a forty-eight win team. Mm-hmm. Dude, they're they're deep too. Like they still have Levert, they still have Acora, uh, they still have Rubio coming back from injury. Kevin Love, I'm not sure if he's still there. I think he might be. Yeah, he is. Uh, they. I, I don't want to keep just saying names, but like the Dean Wade kid. He's not a bad sharpshooter off the bench from Kansas State. He showed that he could play. All right, Ben, come on. I'm just saying, they're pretty, <laughs> they've got like 10-plus guys that can play in an NBA rotation. No, I agree. And I, I think uh, I think as we as we said earlier, it's all – I wouldn't say all because obviously their backcourt is, is really promising. But I think Mobley is – the fact that they have three all-stars yeah. under the age yeah. of 25 not named Evan Mobley. Is crazy. Evan Mobley is supposed to be the next Anthony Davis or more. I don't know what the ceiling is, or I don't know what the comparison is, but that's that's what his expectations are, and it's the truth. So you add that to already a, a group of uh, three all stars under twenty five. That's that's something. You got to figure out how to pay him and keep everyone happy. Four all stars on the Cleveland Cavs. Where the hell was this when uh, LeBron was there? Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, get an amazing oh, man. All of a sudden, this, it flips. I'm still kind of thinking what they that small forward position is looking kind of slim. Uh, <laughs> a two-year contract, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the Cavs can pick, in. the Cavs didn't trade a second-round pick, so they can get Bronny in two years. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not big on Bronny, but. Uh, uh, can, can, oh wait, I bet I think you're going the same direction. Can we talk about uh, it from like the Knicks front? Yeah. I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we dare talk about it from the Knicks? Because, because I know I know you're pit you're pissed about I'll, I'll let you go first, Ben. I mean I'm not pissed because I just I think this Cavs team is way more interesting. It's probably better for the NBA. Um and the Knicks probably would have somehow figured out a way to soil the Mitchell situation if you were to land there. But it's just funny when like you just they every time there's just a glaring opportunity where there seemed to be the overwhelming front runner and there's no real competition package. The Knicks just soil it. And I'm not, and I, I know we'll probably dive into why they maybe lucked out that it didn't happen that way and that they didn't get Mitchell. But it's just funny. Now that it passes, it's just like, well, now let's go back to Brunson and Randall. And where is that getting you? And another team in the East is just bumping you down another spot. It's just, yeah. I don't know. I, I, they just, they just miss out and it's just embarrassing, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, like for me, it is a blessing in disguise, but I don't think this team this team would have been a playing team maybe with Mitchell. But it is that kind of just like constant incompetence at GM. So like when it's finally time to get a guy that can get you over the hump or like start the next rebuild, then they're gonna fuck that up. So like, well, this one might be good. It's just a common, common Knicks L that like just keeps yeah. on happening ever since like the Carmelo trade. And it's just a, a horrible history. I'm gonna not play devil's advocate it's because i actually firmly believe it i think the knicks have a w on this um i agree i I agree it it didn't make sense i'm usually first in line to shit on the knicks just because i think their fans are obnoxious um not my friends i have a lot of knicks friends i'm not throwing shade at them i just think the whole trey young thing after uh they won that first game and then they just got abused that whole season just really ticked me off i get they haven't been relevant in god knows how long but the, the report that came out was Barrett, Quickly, or Grimes, plus three unprotected first. Danny Ainge might think that he's playing in, like, 2K GM. I mean, why does he think that he can 
possibly get that. I, for once, finally, like, salute the Knicks front office for being like, listen, Danny, you got no leverage here. You're going to go take that deal with Markin and Sexton and five picks, and we're going to hold on to a guy we just extended for $30 million a year. Quentin Grimes, who they think can be the next two guard in New York, and quickly, who they think is good too. So I it think it was all three of them in the three first was the. It was, it was. According, according, to, according to Shams, I'm reading it right now. The Knicks' final offer was Barrett, quickly, and two unprotected firsts. Yeah. According to yeah, Shams. That, that was the, the Jazz. Jazz the Knicks more, offered? That was the Knicks' final offer. The Jazz oh. wanted one more unprotected pick. Another young player and multiple pick swaps. Crazy that they were gonna offer RJ in a deal. Yeah, I, I'm shocked that I know people don't like RJ. I know I've said it before. I'm way more in on RJ than other people are. I think people are kind of thrown off on him just because he was picked after Zion and Ja. But why was he ever even in conversations? That yeah. that makes no sense to me. The only the only thing I could think is like RJ is like so good that like maybe like if they got him. That like that would have not kept them out of like tanking, but like they would have had a star, like an ascending star that's like not lining up with like their core that they're trying to tank with. You know what I'm saying? So it's that like that age gap is just off when you have like a 27 year old RJ and like a 21 year old like promising guy. That's the only thing. But like obviously in terms of trade value, that Knicks package is so much better. Yeah, that I, I think the Knicks kind of took a dub there, but. Uh, the, the the one thing that I thought about this, I thought the, the trade was fair that the Jazz, you know, got for Mitchell. I think could they have gotten a little more? Yes, but that's really all they got. And Mitchell just did not fit what they want to do right now, so they kind of had to take whatever they could get. The Gobert deal at the beginning of the summer kind of just screwed everything this offseason by them getting so much for him. You saw teams – not really know what the asking price or what they should give up for KD was. And you saw teams not know what the hell to give up or offer for Donovan Mitchell. So congrats to Danny Ainge for kind of resetting the market there, but might have screwed him out in the long run. I still think they got a good return for those two guys. Yeah, what was it, like like eight firsts and two swaps? Yeah. I saw that they have, like, I think they have as many firsts in the next seven years as OKC now. They got – yeah, they do. And then they got Walker <laughs> and uh, Ochai Baji. So that's pretty much two firsts from this year, whether or not you want to look at it that way. But yep. yeah, yeah they, it's now OKC and Utah, I believe, have, I want to say the next seven years, 13 firsts tied together. So it's going to be an arms race for uh, who wants to trade yeah. the most for, for Vic. Hopefully, It's literally an arms race in terms of like who's trying to get the best. Like it's, and then my Hornets are like stuck in the middle, just doing nothing and like, not, not even making the play in. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Organization. Yeah, we got anything we got anything else to talk about? Anything else to add? Reddish. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cam Reddish wants out of he can't go for a first anymore, right? Like this this next trade has to be for like gladly, a I, I'm biased. I would gladly Presley give up like a 2027 20, first for him. Yeah. Gladly. A 20 that's risky. A 2027. 20, I, I get like maybe like the Clippers next year. So you know it's gonna be like in the twenties, but I I would dude, give up a reasonable first for him without a doubt. He's twenty three. Twenty three is like kind of old in the. That's like your fourth year. It's like kind of old in the NBA. Am I am I wrong? This is this is going to be his fourth his fourth year. Yeah, and he has hasn't got any run. 
Yeah, but it, what, 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 didn't we talk about this on an earlier pod? That there's like a statistic to where like if you reach a certain age and you got a certain amount of time, like your potential to be like a stud, yeah, it just drastically goes down. So he, if he gets an opportunity, okay, he'll, he'll maybe be a three and D guy. But like, I just I know I, investing a first in him is like investing in like what you're trying to be like a, a stud player, and I, I don't think he's that yeah. anymore. Yeah, I, I refuse to believe the Hawks took him tenth overall and then just like didn't play him despite him like they they would have gave him every every single chance that they would have if they thought he was legit and he just doesn't have yeah I'll, I'll say this before we end on reddish but i know mike congrats you you probably won that in the long run <laughs> I just every time i see him i refuse to believe that he is not an M, like a good nba player there there is a good nba player in that body yeah, Six, eight, yeah i mean his shot's smooth it just clanks off the rim yeah he is the prototypical wing right yes. now. Yes, that's why he got drafted tenth overall. He has the per- he's smooth. He's he's the, got the size, but like his actual play is not like like you got to stop looking at the body. Like ever since because Ben, he was from like the Philly area. We watched him play as a kid, and like he was just that good at, at that age because like he was just physically bigger. But like once he got the Duke, wasn't productive. Once he got to the NBA, inconsistent. I agree. Maybe there's like a sixth or seventh man role like spark plug off like in this future but oh, as like a legit a small forward what yeah, he's definitely not like a star yeah but like that's what people like a serviceable rotation guy i think he could still be yeah okay. like, like he could be a sixth man of the year i truly believe that i don't know about sixth man of the year but like 12 off the bench maybe but you think he can he can when he gets hot if he just put it all together it could easily go for like 18 but he gets so cold <laughs> he gets so cold <laughs> no, no, we're just we're we're picking oh uh, yeah the, the reddish talk is going to be longer than the mitchell talk at this point yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, uh, yeah i don't, don't want to take it any further do you want to send us off you want to send us off yeah i mean do you guys got anything else Oh, I do wanted to announce to our listeners: we are now going to be live on Spotify and Apple Apple yeah. Podcasts. Yeah, so we're leveling up here. I know uh, like, a lot advertisements of advertisements can chill out. I mean, we're we're getting our emails blown up. We got like fifty views. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my friends were saying like, "Oh, it's easier just to listen to it than because especially on YouTube, sometimes it bugs oh, out yeah. if you scroll or you can't really listen to that in length." Yeah, so we appreciate the views on YouTube. Please go subscribe, give a like, um, give us a view there. But also for your for your driving pleasure or listening pleasure now, just give us a quick, you know, follow on Spotify or Apple Music. Yeah, rate five stars, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leave, a, leave a comment, a like about what you like, maybe what you don't like that we're doing, and we could fix that. But hey, we're trying. We're trying. <laughs> yeah. Might as well. So, all right. Uh, yeah. Yep. Thank right, you guys. Boys. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks yeah. for listening. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Backcourt Boys. As always, I am joined by my co-host Ben Boslin and Mike. We're still trying to work on contract negotiations for him, so we brought in a special guest, one of our great friends, Brian Schifano. Brian, how are we doing? I'm doing good. I'm ready to talk some sports. Perfect. So obviously. As people can see, I'm a big Jets fan, but we're going to start off talking about the New York Giants, since that is Brian's favorite team. Brian, what do you think about the Giants' offseason moves and what they're looking like for this 2022 season? Yeah, so with the Giants, you can tell that they were definitely handcuffed uh, coming into this year um, by Dave Gettleman, thanks to him. 
they have a lot of players. It's a transition year. They have a lot of players they're trying to win with that, frankly, won't be here next year. Um, Sterling Shepard, um, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and I don't care what any of those fans say. He can run for 2,000 yards. He shouldn't get a contract. Um, so th- they're in a transition year, and obviously Tyrod Taylor isn't going to be the starting mo- starter moving forward. He's a nice insurance option. But um, going into the season, I will say I'm optimistic. It's probably one of the shakiest rosters I've seen in a long time. Um, like the cornerback depth is, is pretty rough. Um, and, you know, we have people that you could say are weapons, but realistically they're, you know, they're injured or they're never playing or whatever it may be. Um, but the trenches are nice. And I think the system with coaching will be better. Um, but overall, I think uh, they have an easy schedule and they should be able to, you know, manage six, seven wins again. It's one of those things I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I, I go into every year optimist and saying we can win these games at the end of the year, four or five wins. You know, so I'm kind of at the point where I'm ready to see some competitive football. They did get very lucky with their schedule this year, I think, in a rebuilding year when they have a new coach, when they have a new GM. I think they have top seven schedule in the NFL, so that's always good. You mentioned that you don't think Daniel Jones is going to be there for the long term. So really, what is your prediction for him this year? But like, is, are you completely off of the Daniel Jones train? Is there anything he can do to get you back? Or have you seen everything you need to see? And I think, what is it, the two to three years he's been in a Giants uniform? So, yeah, with Daniel Jones, it's tough. So I was originally on his bandwagon, as you guys know. I was a big fan of his. I didn't like that everybody didn't like him out of the draft just because they frankly just didn't know him. Um, and his first year, he was actually really good. 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Um, and I think it was only 14 games. So that was really good numbers. Then they made the tr- switch from Shermer to a guy who had no idea how to coach offense and Joe Judge, which obviously showed because then he had 11 and 10 touchdowns the next two years, which was awful. I think something like that. But um, the point being, I think with a- an offensive coach like Dable, he will have a solid year. I really do think that. I think he'll be better. The offensive line is revamped. Again, they've lost a couple guys in the preseason, but the offensive line is better and the system is better. I really do think he'll mirror those numbers from the first year. But there's certain things you look at in a quarterback that you don't see with him. He has all the things that that you would want. He has a solid arm, decently accurate. He's tall. He's smart. And he's fast. He's athletic. Yeah. yeah he's Sometimes a very good too fast and that runs his body. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing yeah um, which has pretty much been the uh the, the, the you know the, the Giants the past few years just his fall in the Eagles game but the point I'm getting at is is all great quarterbacks probably except Tom Brady nowadays are very good uh you know uh east and west they can they can move side to side and extend plays you never ever see Daniel Jones extend plays east to west you know he's good designed you know north and south runner but that's it. He's not able to move around the pocket. And even some, that's something Tyrod Taylor, I've noticed just in preseason games, he's better than him at. So, um, but yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because that's my biggest thing on him. Would you, would you be surprised if, if Tyrod, if, if I'm not saying they're going to be competitive, but since they do have an easy schedule, let's say uh, their bye week is what? Do they have an early bye week or a late bye week? Do you know off the top of your head? Honestly, no, I have no idea. All right, well, let's say, they're, let's say they're 500-ish around, you know, week 10. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Jones is kind of struggling, but he's just – their other pieces are stepping up. Do you think there's a possibility where Tyrod Taylor takes this football team over? Or do you think, you know, 
Dable and, and Joe Sean are going, hey, Daniel, this is your team. We're going to ride you out. Go play all 17 games if you're healthy. Because Tyron Taylor is a good veteran. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, listen, I think that they got the job with the reason that it was it was clear in the offseason with the whole Flores thing and the Dable thing. Dable and and Shane were or Shane were taken because they were able they worked with Josh Allen. They see a very similar relationship. They obviously spoke highly of Daniel Jones in the interview process. I think Mara proved in the offseason that he still believes in him. He said, you know, we haven't given this kid a chance to win. So he's their guy. However, you know, they're 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 working with their jobs here. John Mara hasn't had a long leash. He's had a very short leash with with re- recent regimes. So I think again, as much as they may have praised him in the offseason and and to get their job to get where they are, if he's not performing the way that they should be, Ty, that's why they signed Tyrod Tear, obviously for an insurance too. But uh, they will make the switch if they're if they're not winning enough ball games. So in my opinion, let's flip that on its head and let's go on the other side because you said a uh, a couple minutes ago here that. You think that Daniel Jones can return to his first or second year numbers when they were higher. Um, so say he does perform well, but you also said you don't want to give him a big contract for obvious yeah. reasons. But mm-hmm. say he plays well enough to where he's putting up decent numbers. You guys are putting up more points than you have been. Um, and then, so do you kind of do, I'm not going to com- completely compare the situation in San Francisco, um, but they extend Jimmy G because they don't think Trey Lance is ready. Say the Giants don't think that there's any quarterbacks that either they're going to get in the draft, don't think they're going to sign anyone, don't think they have a better option at quarterback. Do you think that they should do a smaller, uh, smaller, shorter deal for Jones for one more year just to still kind of develop the rest of the group and then kind of make a bigger move in one or two years instead of just no matter what moving off his bandwagon this year? Uh, it's a great question, and um, I think you have to look at the moves that Shane and and Dable have made in the offseason. They signed Tyrod Taylor for a lot of money for a backup, and for two years. we got to remember, two years. So this year and next year. And that shows that, – that speaks volumes to me. That means to me that Tyrod's going to be the gap guy next year, and they're not paying Jones at all. Again, I think he'd be a great backup, and I would love to have him, obviously, as a backup, but that's not going to happen. But what the move they made with Tyrod Taylor, he is going to be the gap guy. He's the veteran. They're going to move forward with him, and they're probably going to draft somebody using capital to get somebody high in the draft. And Tyrod's going to be the guy to move forward. And unfortunately for Tyrod, that's been the story of his career, but he knows he's going to do that. But, yeah, I, I, I really, unless Daniel Jones throws for 40 touchdowns, which I highly doubt, I, I just don't see him coming back. I really, really, really don't. Because they're not going to die on the ledge with him. You know, they – Joe Judge, uh, again, you could say what you want about him, but he was thrown into a tough situation where he was thrown in with Daniel Jones. You got to make good with him. You got to make good with Dave Gettleman. And, you know, he died with that. He died with Daniel Jones, and that wasn't even his quarterback. So I don't think this regime will make the same mistake. Let's hop real quick into their draft this past year. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very impressive. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is an absolute stud. I'm shocked he fell where he did. Um, I thought that was an honest possibility for my Jets at four. Evan Neal is also one of the highest graded tackles that we've seen coming out of Alabama. Mm-hmm. They also got Wando Robinson, who I think is going to be a great wide receiver. He needs some time to develop, and I'm not sure it's great right now just because they kind of need him to play, which could could be good just because it gets him some game reps. So what do you think about their draft in that first year of the new regime? 
I, you know, I loved it. Um, I'm big on, on, on getting people in the trenches and, you know, I have said this for years that they've, you know, maybe not neglected it, but they just haven't gotten it right. Um, and again, their biggest weaknesses is they have no pass rush. I think they had 30 sacks last year, maybe even less, which is, you know, you need to rush the quarterback. Right. And, and then the offensive line that, you know, they haven't had a good offensive line since, you know, 2012, like the Super Bowl years. So that's a long time ago. You know, I was a little boy back then when they had an offensive line. So I like the strategy, you know, I can't speak of them as players. I've heard high things about them, but again, I'm not watching film. I didn't really watch him in college. Again, I like Neil that he's big. I get worried. I get worried about his size a little bit in comparison to the guy um, uh, in um, on the jets. Um, but again, I love the direction. I love a pass rusher, a tackle. I did think, like you said, it fell perfectly for them. And I think if it didn't, they would have taken one of those guys and then used the second, I think the seventh pick yep. to uh, swap next trade, trade uh, that and the first uh, use, just keep that and a first for next year and leverage it for two picks uh, next year, right? Yeah. Trade one for next year to have two first round picks, then leverage that to get a high pick for a quarterback. But that didn't happen. Um, and then the thing with Wandell Robinson that, that confused me, I've heard he's awesome, but I've also heard he's very much like a Kadarius Tony. Um, I, I just thought it was weird um that they would draft him um again I, I'm, I'm iffy on tony he has the ability you know if you watch him you almost can't see him he's so quick but then again where is he you know he's he's tweeting he's injuries very odell like so i don't know if that shows a lack of confidence in tony but they didn't deal him so it's just that was a little weird to me but again i guess the way they see it is you can't have you can never have uh, um you know, enough weapons, especially in this league. But, yeah. but, but overall, again, I, I loved going with the trenches in the draft. They, there were rumors that they wanted to maybe trade Tony. I didn't really understand that. I mean, mm -hmm. they did yeah. two years ago, a year ago. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about Kenny Galladay or should we just hop over that? Uh, I mean, you know, I feel like everybody – Every everybody in this area with Kenny Galladay is already, uh, you know, frustrated. I think, you know, the idea was he was supposed to be like a Plexico Burris. But let's be honest, Dave Gettleman dug himself a hole and he needed to win his last year. He wasn't looking out for the future of the Giants. He was looking out, you know, for for that year to try to sit, salvage his job. And it was a terrible contract. So I don't I just will go into kind of like the like there's so many things that I think the Giants have been doing wrong clearly yeah. through, for uh through multiple regimes um for multiple years um and i think one of the things that we had just you know previously uh, you know before this podcast have talked about was the their failure at the the development of players uh -huh. i don't know what your thoughts are on this They're, they've been getting some high draft picks as you said they haven't had a good offensive line since they were in super bowl convention which is like a, over a decade ago decade ago and they and i feel like they're off-season moves is to always address the offensive line yet yeah. it, although it's to address it it never actually gets done or it never gets done successfully so do you mm -hmm. think more of that is just choosing the wrong guys lack of development lack of a good system coaching what do you think it is i think that is a great question because it's something i've been thinking about for a long the longest time i think two things can be true at once i think that they've had bad coaching and it's just the development of players has been poor right um, because they have addressed the offensive line. Again, I think that sometimes it's been a Band-Aid where they do a quick address. You know, they'll draft a bunch of guys in one draft and say, oh, we addressed it. With that said, they put a lot of capital in offensive line, Eric Flowers, you know, people like that, and they just haven't worked out. 
Um, but I think a second thing could be true is, which I think is more important is they've had no identity. They draft with no identity. They draft this whole thing about pick the best player. Again, I get it. You know, these guys, the weapons are scary, all this thing. They Saquon. always say, say, say Saquon without saying Saquon's name. I, dude, literally, literally, literally. And they just, that's exactly the way I feel on it. I, they've had no identity. You know, they need a quarterback. They draft Saquon Barkley, you know, and they have all, all these offensive line issues. So, like, it, it's it's just, um, they've had no identity. Again, I think it's a lot of, they get caught up in a draft. They realize they have a lot of problems. The next year, they address the draft by by putting a Band-Aid over and, and drafting, like, four or five offensive linemen. But then, again, those offensive linemen end up being a fourth, fifth-round pick, and it just becomes a Band-Aid patch. I keep saying it, but it's true. So um, there's just been no identity. And, again, there's only been a couple – it's been short, quick regimes, you know, instead of a culture that's been in the building for a while. So I think two things can be true. I think it's been a lack of development – um, and, 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 uh, a poor, you know, poor, poor, um, you know, creation of a team by, by general managers. And, uh, that's why they're one of the worst teams in football the last 10 years. Hey, great points. Uh, Ben, if you don't have any more questions, I, I want to ask, uh, Brian, before we go, what is your ceiling record for the giants this year? And what is your floor record for them? And they're over under a seven and a half, which is a byproduct of their easy schedule. Yeah. Yes. And it's a, but it's also still the bottom of their division tied with the commanders yeah. at seven and a half. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's weird because seven and a half definitely feels, feels large, even though it's below 500 record, if you get eight wins or seven wins, but that's definitely, I mean, you know, I would cry on my, and fall to my knees and cry. If, if the giants got seven or eight wins, I'm not even kidding. That's how desperate I am. But, um, I would definitely take the under first off. I think the ceiling for them could be seven, eight, maybe nine wins. I don't think I, – I would say eight wins is probably the ceiling um, because I do see some things there. They, again, they got a better pass rush. They've got a better off, uh, offensive line, especially depth-wise. Uh, um, they've got that insurance. <laughs> Thank God. We'll see. I guess, you know, it's never, never done until you see the product. They've got a better system, I believe, at, at, at coaching um, and offense. And, you know, they got that insurance at quarterback, which, again, if they had that insurance last year, realistically, we wouldn't be talking four and 13. They probably would have finished like six and 11, seven and 10, which which isn't good. But they were they were fine. They were whatever, you know. So but I think the the bottom again could be four wins, three, four wins, because, again, they've been such a failure. They have no winners in this locker room. That's why I don't like keeping on the Sterling Shepard, the Daniel Jones. They have losers. It's all losers in their building. So they've just become so numb. They, they, they do everything they can to lose. So the way I see it, the, the bottom could be three, four wins again because the, what can go wrong will go wrong for the Giants right now, it seems. Yeah, I will say before we end with our Giants talk, I love what they did at, at head coach NGM. So mm -hmm. I, I think they're on the right track. So um, I know you're you know kind of in the dumps about them, but I think they got a bright future for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they definitely, they definitely have a potential. It's just, uh, it's just whether they actually finally put it together or not. Yeah. Know? All right. He may just be buttering you up to compliment the Jets on the uh, end. <laughs> yeah, the next now segment. Now we'll hop right into my Jets. And one of the things that I wanted to chime in, but I didn't while I was talking to Brian, I feel like the as much as Giants fans probably don't want to say it, the Giants and Jets have had very similar 
path since 2014 when they last won. Uh, they've been through numerous GMs, numerous head coaches, terrible, terrible years picking top five. This is the most optimistic I've been with the Jets in probably my whole life. Um, obviously, you know, 2009, 2010, two great years, AFC championships. I, I was nine and 10 back then. I'm not going to act like uh, I was a super fan or something back then. I was a, I was rooting for the team that I really like to watch. 2015 was an anomaly. That was a great team that just, I think, overachieved and could have, should have made the playoffs and, and choked. Mm -hmm. This team right now, Joe Douglas has done a complete 180 with the Jets, especially after the dumpster fire by the previous two GMs. I saw a Google Doc yesterday the last I think four drafts that the Jets have had so I think it was 2017 to now they have two players from those drafts that are on the roster still and I think more than half is not in the NFL or a backup on another team and Joe Douglas came in 2020 I that year was him but I kind of don't count it for him that draft is looking very bad now Beckton's out for the whole year our only starter from that draft is our punter, and he's even – I don't want to complain about the punter, but he just goes out there, closes his eyes, and kicks the ball. Um, Brandon Mann. But – so, and that year was Adam Gates. And COVID year, I don't really – Joe Douglas didn't get to evaluate the players I think he really wanted to that year. Mm -hmm. The last two drafts, I think he hit it out the park. Now, it all depends on Zach Wilson. Mm -hmm. And we could – I could bullshit you and say, oh, I love, you know, the talent, which I do. I love the talent. It's not going to matter if Zach Wilson doesn't play to the number two pick or even remotely close. Mm -hmm. They're going to be picking a quarterback next year. If Zach Wilson comes back, they avoided an absolute potential disaster with him almost blowing out his knee in the preseason. Yeah. Thank God. So if he comes back, let's say week two and doesn't take strides. Yeah. You're going to need to find a quarterback next year. Cause you're going to be picking hot. And there's quarterbacks, Bryce Young coming out of Alabama, C.J. Stroud coming out of Ohio State. So that I have the most optimism I've had right now. Uh, you saw today, waiver wire was in the NFL. The Jets had seven players claimed by other teams, which was the most in the NFL. And some people might say, "Oh, you're being, you know, you're being a classic Jets fan, rooting for stupid shit like that." That is just a, a, a praise to Joe Douglas and what he's done, talent evaluation wise. Mm -hmm. that our roster for the first time in my life is so deep that he's cutting guys that are getting picked up by other teams. Like I think that should yeah. at least get some respect. So yeah, I'm very optimistic for the jets right now, but like I said, it all depends on the shoulders of number two, Zach Wilson. Yeah. So building off Zach Wilson, he, I think he started 13 games through for 2,300 yards, nine touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Yep. So that ain't good. No. rookie yep. obviously not a lot of holes in the roster not whatever you can blame it on a lot of things but with that stat line and the shirt you're wearing what what are the as you i know watch every single jets game jets yeah, no. what are the things that you are seeing that can convince other non-jets fans non-jet studiers why is he good and why do you think that like what did you see that that sticks out to you yeah so i think to start, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to take the biggest leap from year one to year two quarterbacks by far because he doesn't have a guy that's staying over uh, in, in other cities, you know, 
at bars touching girls as his coach now. I think he's got a competent coach. He's got a competent roster. I think he's going to take the biggest leap. I don't think Zach Wilson's going to be that far behind that. And the one reason I say that is because, yes, did he make rookie mistakes? Of course. It, it's very rare for a first-year quarterback to come in and have success. But when he came back from his injury that he had last year, PCL, which is very similar to what he had this year, and we avoided disaster, he threw the ball pretty good. He, he learned how to, I think, go through his reads, make progression, understand what Mike LaFleur and the offense wanted. It's just – Yes, we're in New York, so you're always going to get, for instance, you see in the Eagles game, he throws a pick. Everyone's going, oh, Zach Wilson sucks. Oh, this, all that. That was a terrible throw. Nobody's neglecting that. That was a shitty read, though, by him. That was him probably thinking, oh, I had a good training camp, which he's had so far. I can get away with this stuff. No, you can't. So it's all about up here, I think, with Zach Wilson. One of the reasons why I do wear this shirt, one of the reasons why I do think Zach Wilson is good and going to be good for the New York Jets is one of the reasons Brian kind of talk badly on Daniel Jones. Think of the same thing. Zach Wilson can go east to west. Yeah. He can make those off-script throws that very few quarterbacks in the NFL can. You saw it last year against Tennessee. He throws the absolute bomb to Corey Davis, threw it to Keelan Cole in that same game. He just makes some throws where you go, the talent is there. Mm -hmm. He just needs to take, instead of throwing, you know, his 99 on the black when he's got a check down in the flat, just, just take it off, throw it 90, you know, just, just ease up, get it to the guy instead of trying to blow his head off with the pass. And I, and I think he'll be there. I, I think that right now, I think it's great that they got Joe Flacco. They got a good veteran presence for him. Um, I, the talent is there with Zach Wilson. I think it's all mental and it's all about him just realizing, Hey, I don't have to be Superman. Maybe his first year he thought that, but the talent they've done everything they need to do around him. He doesn't need to be Superman this year. I think that realistically for him, he should throw upwards of uh, of 25 touchdowns this year if he if he plays, you know, however many games. And I don't think that's that's too crazy to say. It's just a massive jump. Yeah, I, I just think that the double the what I saw him doing <laughs> injury last year yeah. in those last six games. Yeah, he played better. He's making and I I, was, I, I look at. The biggest, you know, sample you could say, that game that he played against the Buccaneers and Tom Brady in that last game at MetLife was one of the best games, like, I've seen from a Jets quarterback, which is kind of sad. It's a meaningless, you know, regular season <laughs> game. But I was there um, with some friends, and just the throws and the reads he was making over, you know, linebackers in between the, the safety and corner help. I was like, this kid has talent. He just needs to, to not be – an idiot when he's making his reads and, and eyeing down receivers. So, yeah, I really think he can double it. I think that the rosters around him, he's got a great, talented wide receiver core for, you know, the first time in his career. I, I, I do want to touch upon two things that you said. I, I do – well, three, actually, to start off. The first thing is, like you said, Zach Wilson has those um, – kind of those intangibles that he's he could make a great quarterback. He can – move around the pocket and he can make a lot of crazy throws that a lot of people can't make. Yeah. All right. So like a big thing with Zach Wilson that I will say is, is and the giants fans have done a lot too, is it's those end of the year uh, games. You know, everybody always goes, we finished the year off. Well, you know, I saw some positive things. We won uh four out of seven or something like that. And I think that's just a big mistake, especially as New York fans to fall down that trap. 
again, I do think that the Jets, um, you know, are looking up again, more potential than they've had in the last 10 years. Um, but at the same time, it's always those end of the year things. They got to find a way to, to make it the whole year, yeah, you know, and, and he's the key to everything. And I'm not even talking like team success at the end of the year. I'm talking strictly his play. He wasn't turning the ball over. I think he only had one or two interceptions in those last six games. He was yeah. making good reads, taking mm-hmm. care of the ball. You know, he wasn't throwing for, you know, 300 plus yards, but he was throwing, you know, 220, uh, two touchdowns, running, running the ball pretty well. He had that yeah. crazy run against the Jaguars. He's a good athlete. It's just like we said, it's all up here with him. Yeah. But I, th- I think just like the end of the year stuff too, I also get concerned about injuries. You know, it's his second injury in two years. And yeah. again, those things usually don't disappear. You know, they, there's usually a pattern as we've seen with Daniel Jones. So again, I, I do think he has a, a good ability and a great talent and that he can make an awesome quarterback. But I just get nervous about a lot of the things that we've seen in the past, especially in New York and, and how that may unfold. But he's oh. the key to everything. He's oh, the yeah. key to everything. And believe me, I get nervous too because <laughs> they haven't had a, a bona fide good quarterback my whole life. You, Mark Sanchez brought us to – yeah. Mark Sanchez was the quarterback in those AFC championships games. Mark Sanchez did not bring us to those games. He was, you know, a good quarterback for those teams. I mm. haven't had, you know, a quarterback that I can dependably rely on for X amount of years of my Jets fandom, which is scary, uh, you know, but hopefully he's the first one. I, I really hope so. Yeah. Um, okay. So now we can officially say uh, we can go into the over under for the Jets. Yep. Placed at five and a half. Two wins yeah. less. Two wins less than the Giants. I'm not, uh, I guess it's just for the division, weaker division. Uh, uh, the Giants obviously have a weaker division. But um, so what do we think? Over under? What, what yeah. are we thinking? I think that's a fair, um, a fair spot for that line to be. I think it was at six to start the year. It looks like he's kind of crept down a little, probably because of you know Wilson. The Jets, I think their ceiling this year is probably somewhere around nine and eight. And that's if everything completely goes absolutely right. Zach mm-hmm. Wilson falls out, like I said. Everybody stays healthy. Their floor, though, is probably I think they could find five wins on that on that schedule. They have the fourth hardest schedule, which isn't great. Um, but it, it's just like I I this is what I want to see from the Jets. So Back to your question, over five and a half, I would take the over. And I might be biased. I think that it's there, there's maybe it's the same old Jets, the goddamn Jets, but it's the, how many times can we just go through the same thing over and over and over again before it finally clicks? Yeah. And you got the head coach, you got the GM that actually is competent, you got the leaders in the, the, the you know, locker room. They're finally they're drafting people that are good humans, which I'm happy about, that love football and that are good at football it's it's the perfect culmination so yes i would take the over but i was talking to my friends earlier today if the jets won six and 11 this year but let's just say four contacts and you might say oh six wins that's terrible what happened what went wrong if they and those 11 losses let's say i don't know seven of them are you know one touchdown a field goal that they lose by and it was just like a a a heartbreaker or like a silly mistake at the end i'm happy with that because that can course, be easily yeah. corrected and easily changed the next year that these players are all young. Our whole roster is a lot of, you know, first and second players. What are you going to say, Ben? And what I will say to that, to transition that back to the Giants, 
is I think while Jones was playing this season and he was healthy, they were struggling to get in the end zone. But what they were doing is they were competing. Yeah, I don't know if I'm completely off on this evaluation, but they would eventually lose off because they couldn't really get in the end zone. They were settling for field goals because Jones couldn't couldn't put in the zone, but they were competing. Once mm-hmm. Jones got hurt the rest of the season, like what what are their quarterbacks' name? Like Glennon, the Glennon. Yeah. Who was the other guy? <laughs> Webb. Uh, no, it was the guy from uh, it was the Bulldog. Uh, what's his name? From oh, Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm. Yeah. Fromm. Fromm. Like, Fromm. Yeah. 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 So, so the, it, those were like some of the two worst like quarterbacks I've ever seen under center in an NFL. Yeah, that was pathetic. Like, yeah. So I think that's when it really got ugly. But to your point, I think for both of you guys as fans of the Giants and the Jets, you kind of just want to see your team compete and then slowly but surely, like, you know, they're going to lose some close games if you can't mm-hmm. get in the end zone, lose because the other team just kind of pulls away, things like that. But just being able to compete, see see that there's some winning trends happening, and then hopefully, you know, over time that stuff builds into uh, – yeah into more wins more success it's silly but it's truly i just want to see competitive football yeah we're in the same boat i'm sick yeah i'm sick of like starting you know september one and three oh and four it's sickening it is sickening yeah i'm tired i'm I'm tired of of the season being over before halloween or or Mm -hmm. november it's embarrassing yeah it's sad it and i think so my official record for the Jets this year is is six and eleven. But like I said, for context, I think they're going to be a, right. a competitive. Yeah. And I think that they're going to take strides. I think that they have a great young nucleus of good young players, guys that live, breathe, and die football. They made great free agent signings. Joe Douglas has hit it out of the park in these last two drafts. So it's the most optimism I've had with the Jets in a while. I just need it all to come together because I love Zach Wilson. I love Robert Sala. I love Joe Douglas. And I really don't want to see them fail because if we just keep going through this same cycle of new regime, it's new regime, new regime it's, it, it tires you out as a fan and it's, it's embarrassing. So that's, yeah. that's where I stand. But do we want to hop into, um, Brad, what are you going to say last? No, I was just going to add on to it. You know, I you kind of, I grew up a Giants fan. You kind of take it for granted. You know, obviously, just take out the two Super Bowls they won because those were very – they were fluky. As, as much as they deserved them, they were fluky, right? But they were still consistent, right? You know, a bad year would be 7-9, and 8-8. Eight and eight. And I didn't know then that football could be complete misery, like you said, and starting off 0-4 every year. I mean, even the Jets then weren't even that – like in that run of like 08 to like 12, yeah. like they were com- – it's all about being competitive, you know? Like, even if you lose nine games, you know, I just want to – we're in the same position. We just want to see some points. We want to see games to the end. Yeah, again, could be 6-11, and 11, but they're playing tough. They're scoring above 20 points per game, which isn't that hard to ask for. I, I will go to bed happy. That's how. That's where we're at right now. It's sad, but it's true. The wind will come, but if you're just going to yeah. keep getting blown out by teams that have no business blowing you out, Pathetic. That, that's where I draw the line. But, yeah. So do we want to talk into another – we want to go into another team that's been really pathetic lately, the New York Yankees, after uh, we take a quick break.